Welcome to Patients at Risk, a discussion of the dangers that patients face when physicians are replaced with non-physician practitioners. I'm your host and the co-author of the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare, Dr. Rebecca Bernard. As we often discuss on this podcast, there's a reason why physicians have to spend at least 15,000 hours in training before we're permitted to care for patients independently. And that knowledge is not just so that we know how to diagnose and treat patients, but it's also to help us learn when a situation is not serious and doesn't need intervention. Today, I'm being joined by emergency physician, Dr. Andrew Wilson, to discuss a case in which improper training or inadequate training may have led to an unnecessary emergency room visit for a patient. Dr. Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Bernard. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So as you said, I'm an ER board of physician. Been out practicing over nine years now, almost 10, here in the state of Florida. Trained actually abroad in uh, Germany and originally from the Carolinas. Well, thank you for what you do because I'm an outpatient doctor only, and I'm so grateful to have well-trained emergency doctors and hospital doctors taking care of those acutely ill patients so that I can do my, my outpatient work, which is what I like. Absolutely. So you recently had an experience that really demonstrated to you why it is so important to have the training that we go through to become physicians. Tell us about this case. Sure. Uh, I'll be honest, it caught my eye right away on the tracker board as I was you know, screening over the waiting room, making sure the patients were being triaged appropriately. And I did see uh, this complaint pop up, sent from Urgent Care Abnormal EKG. And so it gets my attention. I want to know what this EKG is. Is this something serious I need to react to right away? And the triage nurse brought the EKG up to me and I looked at it and I was a little baffled to say the least. So uh, I said, well, there's got to be more to this. Uh, and that's when I basically said, you know, let me, let me go see this patient out uh, in triage. So this was a young, healthy man, as far as you, the information you had, a, per, a man without any medical history. And the story was that he had gone to an urgent care just to have an employment physical or a yearly physical. Now, as far as you know, are you seeing a lot of urgent carers doing this kind of work, or do you know anything about that? I am seeing it a little more, and you're seeing some advertising uh, from urgent carers, right? You can schedule things. They can contract with Workman's Comp to evaluate patients. So this is uh, not unique, uh, I don't think, to see this kind of work being done by an urgent care rather than what was traditionally a primary care doctor or truly a workforce medicine uh, physician that was assigned to a company's patients. Yeah. So we're seeing these urgent cares kind of starting to act in some capacity as primary care, although I guess I would say just having somebody come in for a physical isn't exactly the same as establishing care with a regular doctor, just sort of using this clinic to pop in for needs, that various types of needs. In these cases, I'm guessing that the clinician doesn't has probably never seen the patient before. This might be a one-time visit. So it's, it's a very interesting scenario. And so here you have this young patient, young man, he goes in for an employment physical. And as part of the, I guess, physical requirements, an EKG is done. And then I'll just mention, you know, as a primary care physician, and I'm, I don't know what your training is on this, Dr. Wilson, but we don't do routine EKGs uh, for just general reasons, right? Right. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I don't know what the indication was. 
the patient did have a slightly slower pulse that I would say is still appropriate in a young, physically fit male. It was in the upper 50s, and it's absolutely not out of the ordinary, especially with no complaints or symptoms. So really, I agree, was with no real indication for an EKG. I wasn't aware of any requirement uh, for them as part of their physical, uh, but it could have been. I'm not sure. Okay. So the patient goes into the urgent care, they get a physical. And as part of this evaluation, the nurse practitioner does an EKG and the EKG comes back with some findings that at least that the computer read and tell us a little bit about what those findings were. Sure. So a couple of things that you'll, you'll see on there, which I know as a physician, you'll recognize sinus with sinus arrhythmia. Sounds scary when we hear the word arrhythmia for non-trained, but as you and I well know, this is almost always, always, always a nothing. Uh, You know, this can vary with respirations. As a patient breathes, you'll get a slight variation in, in that cadence, but still an absolute normal sinus rhythm. Also more likely in a patient with some sinus bradycardia, which this gentleman also had, meaning slightly slow heart rate. Of course, he was uh, in the upper 50s. Uh, so really, again, nothing concerning with that reading either. The other thing that was mentioned in the CKG was a, a possible conduction delay with a, a pattern that was more consistent with the right bundle branch. However, again, not a concerning finding. Even It wasn't even truly a, a full bundle branch at that point. I think his QRS was, was right at the threshold, but had that uh, classic pattern. So. So a person that maybe doesn't know very much about EKGs, has minimal training on them, looks at a computer printout and a computer interpretation, gets scared because they maybe don't know what those words even mean, or maybe they sound scary to a person without proper training. And so their first inclination is to tell that patient, who is perfectly fine, by the way, go directly to the emergency room. Now that patient, I'm imagining, must have been scared, were they, when you saw them? Yeah, you know, he said, I felt okay. He's like, I feel fine. I don't have any complaints. He's like, I wasn't really worried, but I didn't understand why I had to rush straight to an ER. So, what, you know, he was genuinely concerned. Is there something on this EKG that's dangerous for me or going to be something that now I'm going to end up with further testing or, you know, anything like that? Thankfully, this gentleman was, was very understanding. Uh, he said, I'm just trying to do what I'm told. You know, he's trying to maintain his employment. And, and uh, so, following through with what uh, this nurse practitioner instructed him to do. And so uh, absolutely, you know, as you said, we went out, checked on him. There was absolutely nothing wrong with this gentleman. He's been having no complaints. I checked, you know, review his systems, his history with exertional tolerance, everything coming back fine. Physical exam, completely unremarkable. And so I started explaining to him a little bit. I said, well, I'm afraid you've wasted your time. I really felt bad for him now. He's going to get an ER bill. uh, And I don't know what his coverage situation is, what his responsibility might be. Uh, really a waste of healthcare dollars and time. But I was concerned enough that, you know, with a nurse practitioner sending in a patient like this emergently to an emergency room following a, what is considered a completely benign EKG, that there wasn't adequate oversight. And so that's when I said, you know, I'm concerned. This is a topic that definitely concerns me. And so I I wanted to reach out and say, what is the situation there? Uh, What's going on? Uh, so I did take the time to reach out directly to the nurse practitioner after a, a fairly long hold, was able to get on the phone with her. Of course, uh, as a physician, you're sort of a little frustrated and that frustration, you're kind of holding back. And I'll be honest with you, she totally disarmed me instantly uh, because she was so much more frustrated with her own job. And when I asked, is your supervising physician there? No, she's out of town. And the other doc that I sometimes have is not here. 
and as you may know, in the state of Florida, nurse practitioners are allowed for some independent practice in the primary care setting, which does carry over into urgent care settings. So she had no supervising physician to cover her. She was very frustrated with her working conditions. She said she was expected to see um, all the way up to 50, 60 patients a day. And she said she'd already put in her notice. She had some choice words for her take on that particular job and role. So, uh, you know, I felt bad for her in that scenario. You know, you want to, I was frustrated with her, but instantly kind of turned towards almost uh, just empathy with the situation that she found herself in, knowing that she didn't have the skill set. When we talked about the EKG, she said, you know, I, I know nothing. He didn't seem like anything was wrong with him, but I'm not allowed to, you know, clear somebody if the EKG doesn't say normal sinus, you know, normal EKG. So anything abnormal, she wasn't allowed to clear him. Uh, and so that's why she ultimately decided to send him, not understanding fully what she was looking at. So, right. Or yeah. thinking like, maybe I can't necessarily clear this person, but maybe I can have them come back and see the doctor or even not to waste a cardiologist time. but. Uh, that's probably a, a little bit better than an ER where you're dealing with people that are, you know, potentially dying that you you might be skipping over because you have to attend to this. Sure. And it did take time. You know, it took me time to make sure this gentleman was okay, that I wasn't missing anything. It took the time. That's part of why I called her to make sure I wasn't missing something because this seems so obvious. Why would they send somebody in emergently like this? Surely there's something else I'm missing. Um, but at the end of it, it truly wasn't. And then I felt bad for this individual. So I took the time then to connect with my billing department personally, and then also the hospital's registration department and billing to try to ensure that he doesn't get any bills from this, because I thought it was not truly not his doing. It was the doing of the healthcare system and the failure of the system. And what's unfortunate is now, you know, that's a very kind thing for you to do, but now you're not going to get paid for your time and your effort that you went through. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, yeah, that that is uh, something and to take in. And, and as an ER physician, unfortunately, that's the case a lot of times. Regardless, you know, this patients uh, don't always pay us for their services, um, despite getting the highest, what's considered the highest level of emergent care and capacity for them. It, that is also a challenge in the healthcare system, for sure. I think your point of the whole system being broken is the most important take home message here. Because what we're seeing is, a nurse practitioner who's being put in a situation that they're not prepared or qualified for, or maybe they could do certain parts of it with proper supervision, which to me means a physician on site or as, as certainly uh, accessible, at least ideally again on site. And even I suppose she could have been autonomous because as you mentioned, Florida does allow for nurse practitioners after a certain number of hours to apply for an autonomous license to practice in primary care. And what's very interesting about that is that there's no real repository where you can find out what nurse practitioners are practicing independently. Um, there's not like any kind of database or anything like that, even though we know they're out there functioning. It sounds like she had somebody, but they weren't available from the way she described it. Correct. Yes. And uh, it, it didn't sound like they were normally there. It didn't sound like an exception. And she did express that was one of her frustrations with this job and why she was ultimately leaving. Yeah. And you wonder how many urgent cares are also, as you mentioned, taking advantage of nurse practitioners and PAs and putting them in those situations. Absolutely. And I think, I think with the changes in the pandemic, we saw a lot of nurses leaving the bedside with the growth in nurse practitioner programs, especially. We've seen just droves of nurses leaving the bedside uh, without adequate 
hours of experience, right? These aren't nurses that have 15, 20 years of experience at bedside. So they're already taking very little clinical knowledge with them to begin with. And then coming out and they need that job, you know, and, and so somebody's going to fill this role. I have no doubt they'll have no problem getting someone to jump right into that same scenario as unsafe and stressful and as it is. Right. I mean, in this case, this was a situation where a patient got too much care, which uh, ended up costing them time and money and basically has a negative impact on the healthcare system. But certainly even more concerning is when the patient doesn't get the proper care and then something life-threatening does happen, which I'm sure you may have seen cases of that as well. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, we do see those misdiagnoses, patients that have had repeat visits and aren't getting the proper diagnosis or testing. Absolutely see that as well as the, like you said, the overutilization because they don't understand the the medicine enough to, to function properly. Which is not to say that doctors don't make mistakes, because I hear that all Correct. the time. People say, you know, you're you're all the time harassing nurse practitioners and physician assistants. Well, doctors screw up and make mistakes. And that's actually the point is that we do make mistakes and we, we try very hard not to and we train for a long time, but we're humans and we are going to make an error. So if you have somebody with all these hours of training making mistakes, how many more mistakes are going to be made by someone that has the fraction of training? Absolutely. Yeah. And and that you hit it right there, nail on the head. There's always going to be exceptions, There's always going to be mistakes or, or misses. But like you said, what's the likelihood? What's the percentage of that occurrence? And when you don't have the right training and you don't have that experience, that goes up drastically. And that is absolutely what we're seeing. You know, there was this study not too long ago, a lot of talk about, uh, you know, ER doctors and missing things. And I think there was that that young girl that had the appendicitis situation. And, you know, so everybody's so quick to jump on, you know, oh, the ER doctors, this and that. And I think somebody ran some numbers. And I think that that basically they showed that ER doctors are getting it right, like 97% of the time. Like, can you imagine any situation where you're you have a 97% success rate. I mean, I think we should be very appreciative and applauding the good work and the, and the safety net that you're providing for all of us. And I can tell you, I certainly appreciate that you and your colleagues are there for the time that one day I may need to go in there. And I want to look up from a gurney and know that there is a board certified emergency physician waiting there to take care of me as fallible as you are. And we all are, I know that you'll be doing your best and that you've trained for a long time to be able to take care of me. Absolutely. And, and you know, we, we hope to never have to be your emergency doctor, but we're there for anyone that needs us. And I'm very proud of the work that we do and the team that we have and, and you know, the PAs and nurse practitioners that work under us and directly with us, right? Uh, they are very effective because they are at our shoulder. They sit beside me in the room. We talk about every case. We go over the cases. I see those patients. If I have any concern at all, I take over the care at that point and direct it 100% if I need to. Um, so that level of supervision is is really where the sweet spot is, I think, for the nurse practitioners and PAs. And unfortunately, we're just getting away from that. And we're seeing that it's um, it's it's lost, so it's out of control once it leaves that position, arm reach. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, studies show over and over again that when nurse practitioners or physician assistants work together with physicians under physician supervision, that patients get great care. But there are no studies showing that that's the same when physicians are not involved. And I'm talking about directly side by side working together. So I totally agree with you, Dr. Wilson. I really hope that we get back to a time where the the needle starts to move again towards actually working together truly so that patients can get the best care. Absolutely. Anything else you wanted to add while uh, we have you have your moment? Um, I think just uh, get get the word out, educate folks. You know, I, I had this conversation with my parents just recently, even though I, I feel like I talk about it with them. Um, but when I actually talked about like the number of hours of training, you know, they know they paid for mine. So they know uh, how much uh, I went through. But when I compared it to what nurse practitioners have to do to come out of school and be independent practice in many states, they were blown away. They said they had no idea. So that that's what worries me is that folks who even have some insight to what's out there really don't understand it and, and don't see and feel that difference. And that's what I think we just have to highlight, continue to highlight. There is a reason why we are medical doctors, DOs, because of all those hours of training and what that means, the difference. So yeah, keep the keep getting the word out. And thank you for all the hard work you do uh, to, to do just that. Thank you so much to my guest, Dr. Andrew Wilson. And if you'd like to learn more about this topic, I encourage you to get the book, Patients at Risk, The Rise of the Nurse Practitioner and Physician Assistant in Healthcare. It's available at Amazon and at barnesandnoble.com. And if you're a physician and you'd like to learn more about getting involved in our mission, which is advocating for physician-led care for all patients and for truth and transparency among healthcare practitioners, please consider joining our group. It's called Physicians for Patient Protection, and our website is physiciansforpatientprotection.org. Thanks so much, and we'll see you on the next podcast.